Well, that was another great life hack. I'm sad to say that was the last, everybody. I know they've been a fan favorite, but uh, that was the final one. Thank you, Matt and Ben, for, for doing that. Today's communion. Just want to remind you of that in case you need to get some bread or something to drink. At the end of this, we'll have communion. Tomorrow is Memorial Day. Communion is a time we remember Christ gave his life for us. Memorial Day is a time we remember those who have fallen for our freedom. We know there's a number of you who have lost family members and friends. You are in our thoughts and prayers this weekend as you mourn their loss. And as also we remember what they have done to bring freedom for the rest of us. Today is the end of a series, Your Slightly Improved Life. I want to say just real quickly a couple things about it as a recap. Number one, I want to remind you it is a slight improvement. All the studies show this. It's a tiny tweak. The tiny tweaks in your life can lead to big changes. Slight adjustment, impressive improvement. When you cut your grass, if you want your grass to look great, just take a little bit off the top. You take a lot, you're going to kill your grass. It's going to look terrible. A little bit, okay? So it's a slight adjustment, but it's got to be number two, the right adjustment. Some things sound good, they just don't work good. I read a study, and by the way, I put a bunch of books on the notes tab there that you can refer to, uh, books that I've read, all kinds of uh, studies that have been done, excellent books uh, that are there, a whole wide variety of them, actually. But uh, one study was done, it was at a university, and they wanted to help people break their addiction, and they felt like, well, people who are addicted have a lot of stress in their life, let's teach them to relax. And they taught people to relax who were addicts. And what they ended up with was people who were still addicted. They were just very relaxed. And so the study did not work. So some things sound good. They just, they just don't, they don't work good. So it's a slight adjustment, but it's got to be the right adjustment. And finally, I want to encourage you how to motivate change. We talked about it last week, asking questions. Questions are so important. The Bible's filled with questions. Jesus' life, over 300 questions. Genesis chapter 3, third chapter in the Bible, Adam and Eve make a terrible mistake. God shows up. What's the first thing God does? He asks a question. Interesting. Genesis chapter 4, the very next chapter, Cain has a fight with his brother Abel. Terrible thing happens. He kills him. God shows up. What's the first thing he does? Ask a question. How are we going to get people to discover um, who they truly are? How are we going to motivate them to change? It's not going to happen by nagging. It's not even going to happen by praising. Because for people we love, we might have a tendency to just praise, 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 nag, nag, nag. Neither one works. Ask questions. Help people to discover. Some people have asked me, well, what questions do we ask? So just briefly, and they would just make sense. We ask somebody, who do you truly want to be? What do you really value? Um, what brings you purpose or what brings you peace? And then what people in your life or what habits in your life, uh, what environment, on and on, actually contribute to purpose and peace in your life? So it's some very practical questions. It's self-discovery. And I said this past week on Live at Five. Live at Five is something that I do Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Practical, short, biblical, uh, very relevant helps uh, to, to our lives. And I said this past week, I'm going to make a special announcement today. So here's the special announcement that we're very excited about. We're bringing in a best-selling author and an expert in the field of anxiety, Dr. John Duffy. Uh, we set all this up before COVID started, but 
our plan is, is he's coming in in this fall and we hope to be able to, to, to still do this in October, but we are definitely bringing him. We are excited about this, our teens, and then overall, this big issue about anxiety that we are experiencing in this world is very important to us. And we are so excited. And his book, which is on that uh, list of books that I put, excellent, excellent book. So I would really encourage you on that. All right. Now for today, Culture Eat Strategy for Breakfast. Where did I get that title? It is from Peter Drucker. He's a famous business guru. And that's a famous uh, quote that he has. Culture Eat Strategy for Breakfast. What in the world does that mean? It means that your strategy could be awesome. Your plans could be absolutely phenomenal. But the environment and the culture that you establish is going to be more powerful than that strategy. You might have a great strategy, but it's going to be undermined unless you have a great culture. You go to bed at night, you have great plans to wake up early in the morning, get a fresh start on the day, right? Or you have plans to wake up early in the morning and to go running or exercise or whatever it might be. So you go to bed with a great plan. You wake up the next morning. It's like, oh, I don't want to get up, you know, and you hit snooze and you hit snooze and you hit snooze and you hit snooze so much that you've run out of time to do whatever it is that you want to do. You had a great plan, but you didn't have a good culture. You didn't have a good environment to work it. Uh, work your plan in, right? So an MIT student understood this, and I guess they probably hit snooze far too often. They created their own alarm clock. It's an alarm clock on wheels. It is called Clocky. What happens is you put Clocky right there on the nightstand or wherever next to the bed. It goes off in the morning, but when it goes off, it's on wheels. It starts running all over your room, and you can't hit snooze. You got to catch it. So you got to catch clocky. So now your heart rate's up and you're already exercising and to turn it off. So it's, it's the environment, right? That is what does it. That's what's been effective. And clocky has been a big success. You know, I read about another study. Uh, they brought people to a movie theater and they gave people different size buckets that had popcorn in it. Now, the popcorn was old and it was nasty. So you wouldn't want to eat it. And they wanted to find out the people with small buckets, did they eat? All the popcorn, the people with the really big buckets, the really, really jumbo buckets, do they eat popcorn? Here's what they found. So people didn't know this was a study about popcorn. They thought they were just there to watch a movie. But the results were so fascinating, they ended up repeating this study all over America with all kinds of different types of movies, okay? And here's what they found. Didn't matter what the size of the bucket was, you ate all the popcorn. So how can you eat less popcorn? Small bucket. What does that teach us? Do you want to eat less? Here's a simple thing to do. Buy smaller plates. You want to drink less? Buy smaller cups. So it's very, very practical, the things that we need to do. Okay, let's read the uh, scripture for the day. And the scripture is this from John chapter 8, one of Jesus' famous I am statements. I am the light of the world. We're going to read verses 12, verse 23, verse 28. This is what Jesus says. Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. He says in verse 23, Jesus continued, you are from below. I am from above. You belong to this world. I do not. Important statement. We'll come back to that. Verse 28. So Jesus said, when you have lifted up the son of man on the cross, then you will understand. Later in John 12, Jesus says, when he is lifted up, So this says you will understand. 
And in chapter 12, he says, when he's been lifted up, all people will be drawn to Jesus Christ. What is that about? What exactly is going on here? Well, this is during the Festival of Tabernacles. We've been saying this. Chapter 7 and 8, during the Festival of Tabernacles, they celebrate uh, water because God provides water for them in the middle of a desert. You don't get a lot of water in a desert. And they're camping. They're in these, like, tents, these portable tabernacles. They move all over. And so you basically, everybody comes once a year, most popular time to come to Jerusalem for this festival. And everybody's camping outdoors to celebrate it. And there's camping stories and there's all kinds of fun stuff. But in the midst of that, there's also a light ceremony. Every night they would light these huge candelabras. Jerusalem's on a little bit of a hill and they're at the temple mount area. They would light these huge candles. And you could see for miles, it was a spectacular spectacular scene. And Jesus says he is the light of the world. So during this festival and the light ceremony, and you got all this going through your head about lights, right? Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Now they are reminded that when they were in the wilderness, when they were in the desert, that there was a cloud that was over them during the day. And there was a fire cloud that was over them at night. And even there was one time that the Egyptian army after the Israelites had left, they said, the uh, Pharaoh said, you know what? <laughs> I made a mistake. I'm going to get them. So here comes the whole army getting ready to attack them. And it says, this pillar of fire stands in between them and their enemies, protecting them like a shield. So you have this cloud during the day that's protecting you from the harshness. Check this out, the harshness of the sun, because the world can be very harsh. And at night when it's cold, because it gets really cold in the desert, you have the warmth of this. What is that cloud? Is this just some kind of crazy mystical thing? What exactly is the, what does it mean when Jesus says, I am the light of the world and you have this cloud and you have this fire at night and you have this shield? Well, in Jewish scriptures and Jewish thinking and understanding, remember, we need to look at it through their eyes. All of a sudden, it really makes sense because light in Jewish scripture is wisdom. What is wisdom? Wisdom is what we need to navigate life well. How many times have you or I said, oh man, why did I do that? I shouldn't have done that. I feel so foolish. And that's the opposite of wisdom. I mean, we could avoid pain and embarrassment in our life. How many times have I said that to myself? Hey, if I would have just known, if I could have just seen, if the lights could have been turned on. You know, there's this old saying that God gave us shin bones to find furniture in a dark room. I could have avoided pain. I could have avoided suffering if I could have just had the lights, if I could have just seen. In ancient Jewish eyes, light is wisdom and it's how you and I navigate life well. And that's really what we want, to make good decisions, to put good values in place. Drucker says this, that the culture, the environment that we have is established by our core values. Values aren't just something, core values aren't something that I just say, it's something that I show. I show it because they're so deeply in me and they're repeated over and over again. I'd like to read you from Psalm 119, it's verse 105. And this emphasizes the fact that light is wisdom. It is the word and it lights our path before us. Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light for my path. So God's word is considered wisdom. 
It's a wisdom document. It's about how to live and how to live well. And what does it do? It lights. Jesus is the word. What is Jesus? He's wisdom. He's the word. And what does it do? He lights our path. If we live by the principles of Christ, and who, you know, how could we like say, oh no, I, you know, that's a foolish way to live. Christ is living in such a way. He's serving and he's giving and he's forgiving and he's loving. We know this today, that that is the most fruitful, the most wise, the most beneficial way to live, not just for me to live that way, but for what it creates around me. It's good for you too. It is wise. It is light-filled. This is the way they saw light, wisdom. I want to read you Proverbs chapter 6. Now, the book of Proverbs is all about wisdom. The, the whole book is about it says, by wisdom, the world was created. So Jesus created the world and wisdom created the world. And the two are the same. Proverbs 6, good friend, follow your father's advice and don't wander off from your mother's teaching. So it's saying symbolically here, the teaching and advice from your mom and dad is wisdom. So this is all about wisdom. Wrap yourself in them from head to foot. Wear them like a scarf around your neck. Whenever you walk, they'll guide you. Whenever you rest, they'll guard you. When you wake up, they'll tell you what's next. For sound advice is a beacon. Good teaching, it, here it comes. It's a light. Moral discipline is a life path. Jesus is life and light. And when we live by the principle, when we follow his way, our life is filled with wisdom. It's filled with light. And this is what we want. We want to live a life well. This is how you do it, by following his path. He created us. He created this world. And when we live by the principles of Christ, we reflect his light and we navigate life well. We have less and less of those embarrassing, painful moments in our life. And we live a more fruitful, filled life. Now, when we look at what Christ has done, Sometimes we might we might just have the habit to say, okay, great. Um, that's the way to live. I'll just do it on my own. I'll just live by these values. But that wouldn't be wise. That wouldn't be a wise thing for us to do. That kind of goes against wisdom. And it's a foolish decision that, that we would make. We want to actually take Christ in. Isaiah says it this way, a light has dawned that we need help from the outside. That's what I read those verses that I did in John chapter eight, verse 23, where Jesus says, I'm not of this world. I'm, I, you know, I'm from another world, so to speak, coming to bring light to you. We can't make the foolish decision of thinking, okay, well, here's the values. I'll just do it. I'll do it on my own. That's going to undermine all of this. I have a famous quote. I want to read it to you. I'm not going to tell you who it's by. I'd like you to chat it up. Who do you? It's. A, I'll give you a hint. It's a really, really smart person. They're known, known for being super, super smart. Okay. And this is what they said. No problem can be solved from the same level of consciousness that created it. Why? You need something from somewhere else. That's what that's saying. Who do you think said that? Write it in the chat. No problem can be solved from the same level. You need something else. This is where Jesus is saying, you're from below, I'm from below. I've come down, the light has dawned. We need to fix our eyes on Jesus Christ. All right, that was Einstein. I got a couple other quotes I want to share with you. Actually, three more quotes, all by the same person. And I'll give you a hint on this one too. 
a very famous political figure from Virginia. Now, this is this is just emphasizing the fact that the, the answer is not going to come from us. It's got to come from an outside. We are reflectors of Jesus. We aren't Jesus. It's got to come from an outside force in our life. This is the quote. Sometimes it is said that man cannot be trusted with the government of himself. Can he then be trusted with the government of others? How about this one? Whenever a man has cast a longing eye on offices, a rottenness begins in his conduct. And finally, every government degenerates. All right, everybody, who do you think said those three quotes? And they're all just kind of emphasizing the fact that we can't look to ourselves. We can't say, okay, well, those are the values that work. Now I'm just going to take it from here, Jesus. No, no, no. We need Christ as our North Star, as our guiding light. We need help from above. Thomas Jefferson. I know some of you got that. So here's what we need to do. Christ is wisdom. He's values. Okay, but here's the important point to all this. We, as Proverbs says, like it's wrapped all around us, we need to create a culture and an environment in our lives where those values that we're tripping over them all the time. So here's the fill in the blank for the day. What do you need to trip over? What do you need constantly? What values in your life do you need to be reminded of on a constant basis that you're just always tripping over it? I had some good friends. They got me an, an Apple Watch. I would have never bought an Apple Watch. Some friends, they're just awesome. They got me a watch. I didn't know if I would ever use it, if it would come in handy. But here's the thing. On this watch, there are three rings. That's the face that I set on it. Three rings. They represent how much I've moved for the day, how much I've stood for the day, and how much I've exercised for the day. And the thing is this. They're right on my wrist. I am tripping over it all the time. And if I want to avoid quarantine 15, particularly right now, and I'm looking at this, it's reminding me, hey, man, I haven't closed my rings. I've got to get out there. But I'm tripping over it. That's the point. The culture you need to create. You need to have the right values. You need to have the right habits. But it's, that strategy isn't going to amount for a hill of beans. It's not going to do anything for you unless you're tripping over it. That's what wisdom would tell you. Just like that light that would fill up all over Jerusalem and people would be drawn to it because it is so spectacular. You can see it every single night during the festival. The same is true. You need to create an environment where you are, those habits that are so important, whatever tweak you need to make for, you know, physical health, mental, emotional, and definitely spiritual health. What are you tripping over all the time? There's just no way that we're going to grow in our understanding of who Jesus is and how we are called to reflect him. And that's what we truly want because we share his DNA. That's what we truly desire because we share his DNA without reading the Bible, without doing that on a regular basis. I have a little thing, goes off on my watch every day. It's a Bible memory verse. I've got to set up habits in my life to study the Bible. This is why we gather every week as a church because we want to study together who is Jesus. We want to lift up his values. We want to trip over those all the time. We want to support and inspire each other to do that. We want to say, I see Jesus in you. You are called to reflect him. That's why we want to get in community groups, because we support and we pray for you. What habits do you have in your life that are wise? It's one thing to have a wise thing. Like, I, this is what I need to do. And it's another thing to set up an environment and culture where I'm tripping over that wise thing all the time. This is what Proverbs is saying. And when Jesus says he's the light of the world, he's saying, I want your world to be filled with this light so that you're tripping over it 
constantly, constantly, all the time. So we want to bring all of this together by the habits, by the tweaks that we made, by the things we've done, and then we want to find a way that they're there with us all the time, just like the watch on your wrist that you're seeing them. Out of sight, out of mind. We don't want them to be out of sight. You know, one study that I read said this, if you want to get in shape, do not join a gym that is far from your home. It's either got to be right next to your office or it's got to be right next to your house or it's got to somehow between the two because you're never going to go there. There again, spiritually, what things do you need to trip over all the time? Now, earlier in this series, I talked about an organization called Delancey Street. Uh, it helps people who are addicted to drugs, alcohol, and have spent time in jail. And <clears throat> if you know much about this, recidivism rates for people who are in jail, just off the charts, okay? They have a 90% success rate. That is phenomenal. That is incredible. They've had over 16,000 people come through their program in the last 30 years and at 90% success rate. And you know what they say? They only do two things. First thing they do is they people coming off the street, it's all about me. It's all about take care of number one. So they say to them, your success is tied to the success of others, that you want to help people succeed. Even people from a rival gang, even person that you hated before, you got to help them be successful. And they put that up there, that value, and they make you trip over it all the time because it's right there. They say, you can't have a list of 10 things. We're only going to do two things. The first thing is success. You've got to help other people to succeed. Number one. Number two, you confront everything because in the streets, you don't rat anybody out. You don't want to be called a rat. You don't do that. And here, you got to confront everything that goes on that goes against the value, right, of what they're living. And you've got to confront that so things can be better. And those are the only two things you do all the time. Now, I want you to think about this. They take people who have committed to kill each other, okay, and they put them, they put nine guys in a small dorm room. Nine guys in a small dorm room and they succeed. They're able to get along because they're tripping over these two values all the time. They're two great values. When I, when I read that story, I thought, oh my gosh, I'm not even sure that we can get nine Christians together in a room. Do we have enough spirit in us to live with? Well, here's what they do. They bring nine guys together and they trip over these values every day, every day, every day. And it's created a beautiful thing. You need to have the right adjustment in your life, but you need to trip over it all the time. You need to trip over the Bible. You need to trip over understanding. You need to trip over constantly around other people who are supporting that, who are seeing Christ in you and who will lift that up. So bringing all of this together, you might have a great strategy, but you gotta create an awesome environment a great culture to live by. That is by putting in the light of the world is the wisdom of the world to let that fill your life on a constant basis. Now, as I said earlier, we're gonna have communion now. And what is, what is communion? Jesus said, as often as you do this, remember me. So remembering Jesus Christ, what, what are we remembering? We're remembering his tremendous love for us. And he's saying, as often as you do it, in other words, I want you to trip over my love for you. And this is what we've been saying, because in John chapter one, verse number three, it says, Christ made everything. 
and to emphasize the fact is this Christ made everything. And then by the way, nothing was made without Jesus Christ. We share his DNA. He wants us to remember who we've been created by and who we've been called to live for and that our life and purpose and peace and power and contentment is going to come when we follow him and reflect him. Maybe you've never heard that before. Maybe you've never th- like thought about that before. Maybe that hasn't been totally grasped by you and you're just saying to yourself, now you're realizing, wow, wait a minute. That's the way I want to live. I want to encourage you right now before we take communion to consider saying, Jesus, okay, I get it. I get it. I get it now. I understand. And I want to follow you. I want to follow your light. I want you to be the leader of my life. I want you to be my Lord. I want to encourage you just to say that to Christ now, wherever you are, wherever you are. I want to walk in your light. I want to walk in your wisdom. I want to live I want to live that way. I want you to be my North Star. I want to follow you and to accept Christ. Uh, You want to grab some uh, bread or uh, crackers and something to drink. Uh, Harrison is going to lead us for a few moments, and then we're going to come back, and we're going to take uh, communion together. The scriptures say that the night Jesus was betrayed, that he took bread and he broke it, and he said, This is my body that's broken for you. And that he took a cup. He said, it's a cup of a new covenant. He said, this is my life that's poured out for you. I'd like to pray over the bread and over the cup, and then we can eat and drink together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word and for your wisdom. Jesus, for what you have done for us. Bless the eating of this bread and the drinking of this cup. And I pray today that as we eat this bread and drink this cup, that we would feel it so deeply within inside of us that we share your DNA. That the only way we're going to find true peace, purpose, power, contentment, joy in this life is when we reflect you, the light of the world. God, as we eat this bread and drink this cup, may that resonate so powerfully within us. In your name, amen. Let us eat and drink together. Well, thank you for being a part of today and a part of this series. Uh, We signed up just a huge amount of people last week for community group Bible studies. It was awesome. And I just want to encourage you that if you haven't signed up, this is a great opportunity to get into a group of people to be encouraged, to be prayed for, and to study exactly who Jesus is and to to put those values in place in our life to create a whole new culture. You can click on the uh, link there in the chat, or you can go to uh, trygrace.org slash groups. Next week, we begin a brand new series. It's all about music, and it is going to be quite a ride. So please join us for Summer Playlist. God bless. Have a great day.